This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of The Takeout. We're going to do something kind of experimental this week. First of all, welcome to the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C. We're back out in a restaurant. It's an early morning. We're going to have breakfast at La Famosa which is our host restaurant this particular morning uh, in the Navy Yard section of Washington, D.C. What we're going to do that's a little bit experimental is we're going to have a conversation about photography and our planet. So those watching on CBSN are going to get the all full richness of this experience. But those of you listening on radio and on the podcast platforms, we're going to make sure you understand how to find the pictures we are talking about. So who's our guest this week? Jim Baylog is his name. He is a world-renowned photographer. He's created an unbelievable book called The Human Element. And I, Jim, I want you to say hello and then read the subtitle of the book and explain what that means. Well, good morning. Uh, yes, thank you. The, the subtitle is A Time Capsule from the Anthropocene. Okay? So we get our terms straight. The Anthropocene is the new word in geology, relatively new word of the past 20 years, to denote the fact that the touch of humanity is having a profound, um, more or less uh, 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 eternal impact and imprint on the nature of the earth. Uh, It's altering earth, air, fire, water, and and plant and animal life uh, in so many different ways. And I chose the, the language, a time capsule from the Anthropocene, as a challenge to us of our time, but also very specifically, um, recognizing that I wanted to pass these pictures and these thoughts and these ideas on to people of the future, to say to those people, hey, this is what was going on in our time. Because 50 or 100 or 200 years from now, people will look back at our era when everything's changing so much and they'll go, for God's sake, what happened? You know, they're going to live in a world that's really, really, really different decades or centuries from now. And they're going to wonder what we were thinking about and what we were experiencing in our time. So it's a time capsule from my time to those in the future as well. And do you think one of the questions they might ask out loud is, couldn't you see what was before your very eyes? Absolutely. They're, 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 they're going to be dazed and amazed that we could have been so punch drunk and blind. Yeah. And the book, 
I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, again, for CBSN, you can sort of see it. Arden Fari is going to pan down on it a little bit. It's on our table here at the breakfast area at La Famosa. It's like a double-sized coffee table book. It is very, very large. And you pan through it, and you see unbelievably beautiful, heart-rending, emotional photographs of the world in which we live and how it's changing before our very eyes. If you were to try to s- summarize the photographic journey someone looking through this book would experience, what would it be, Jim? Wow, uh, that is a question. Well, it's, it's 40 years of my experiences uh, looking at all these different um, uh, ways that we interact with the rest of nature. And I choose that language very carefully. Um, I used to think that there was a boundary between humans and nature. And I finally realized that that was a reflection of the fact that I had inherited mentally these old, old, old patterns that come to us from thousands of years ago where humanity is here and nature is something else over there. But I've revised my thinking and my language to say we are in and of nature. We are a part of nature. And so I refer to human nature and non-human nature, the rest of nature. So within this book, I'm exploring all those things and I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at floods, I'm looking at endangered wildlife, I'm looking at deforestation and the largest trees in America. I'm looking at uh, glaciers and ice sheets retreating as a consequence of climate change. I'm looking at wildfire. And then I'm thinking about the impact that all of this has on our children uh, today and tomorrow. You know, what does it mean? And we have uh, on this program, The Takeout, devoted a great deal of conversation to the topic of climate change, how human activity is changing the world around us. On my companion podcast, The Debrief, we devoted two weeks in a row to the question of climate change. I care about this issue deeply. And at the beginning of the book, there is a essay that says, look, in addition to the science, here are the pictures that show you, if you're still uncertain about this, how things are changing, to use a phrase I used just a moment ago, before our very eyes. Mm -hmm. And you can't ignore what you can see. You may be uncertain of what a scientific paper asserts or doesn't assert or the underlying data beneath it, but you can't ignore what you can actually see and what you over 40 years have experienced. True? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's in a way, that's the essential point in what I've been doing and publishing and speaking about. I have the visual evidence, you know. This is not about statistics and graphs and computer models. This is actually what some living human being with two eyes <laughs> facing forward was able to see going on in his world. And so uh, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm bringing back that visual evidence and saying, here, you know, you, th- this is the reality. Forget about all your, your belief systems and your ideology. This is the rational observed reality. And here it is. These pictures are not constructed. They're not photoshopped. They are documents from out there in the world to, to what we can see now. And some of them are over a long period of time in the same space documenting changes in that very space, correct? Uh, Yeah, there's a whole body of work I've done called the Extreme Ice Survey. And some of those pictures are uh, occupy one of these chapters. And the Extreme Ice Survey is, um, is a project I started in 2007, where the um, 
we put time-lapse cameras out at, at the termini, the terminuses of various glaciers and ice sheets, set the cameras there permanently, and let them click away every half hour or every hour around the clock as long as it was daylight. And uh, that was 14 years ago. And some of those cameras are still out there watching how those places have changed. The cameras uh, were primarily in uh, Greenland, Iceland, Alaska, um, Antarctic Peninsula, South Georgia, uh, but also there were other variations on the camera coverage. In and the story the is the same visually in this, all, the, all the places. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the same, yes. Uh, the glaciers are retreating, retreating at a shocking rate. The very first cameras went out in uh, 2007. And when I put those cameras out, I honestly, I, had, I put 25 cameras in the field. And I thought, oh, you know, we'll be lucky if we manage to see a glacier change in the course of three years. And I thought it was a three-year project initially. And I put the cameras out, and my God, within three months we had glaciers going back at a fantastic rate, collapsing all over the place. And suddenly I realized I'm, I'm even more in the middle of this monumental uh, change in the Earth system right now than I realized when we started disseminating the pictures almost immediately, and they had a powerful and shocking effect on public perception. And when we're talking about this retreat, we're not talking about inches or millimeters. Oh, no, no, no. There, uh, there are a couple of the really big glaciers we looked at uh, in Alaska and uh, Greenland, particularly uh, really important glaciers in terms of the volume of ice that's going into the world's oceans. And these things were retreating. Well, they're, they're moving uh, 50, 100 feet a day in some cases, and they're, and they're pulsing back and forth, you know, and a little slug of moisture comes in in the, in the upper reaches of the glacier. They move forward a little bit, but then they move back. And then they move forward a little bit. Then they move back some more. And it's this seesaw going back But they're back moving and forth. back more than they're ever moving Absolutely. forward. Yeah. yeah. So if people are curious in the radio world and on our podcast platforms, is there a, is there a place they can see some of these photos? Yeah, thank you. Um, our website, the Extreme Ice Survey, is one place. Um, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty updating some of the very latest picture sequences, but the extremeicesurvey.com is one place. We've got a little bit spoken about uh, on the Earth Vision Institute website, uh, but that site mostly speaks about the book. Um, so extremeicesurvey.com is the good place. And the book is The Human Element. Jim Baylog is the photographer. I'm Major Garrett. Segment two of The Takeout coming up in just one moment. And for those of you watching on CBSN, I told you we were outdoors. And we have a light situation now that has come on in the last 10 minutes. We will make a slight adjustment to deal with that back in just a moment. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. For those of you watching on CBS, and I told you we might have to go through an adjustment. Well, we've adjusted a lot. We've moved to the other side of the restaurant because the morning sun, well, it was basically frying my eyeballs out. And uh, 
changing the construct of our image unhelpfully. Right, Jim Balog? Absolutely. So, Jim Balog is our guest. The Human Element is his book. It is a time capsule from the Anthropocene. We've discussed what that means in the first segment, but I also want to, every segment, remind people where people can see your photography on the web. Jim, so again, tell people where they can find it. Yes, earthvisioninstitute.com, extremeicesurvey.com, and um, in your local bookstore or online bookseller, uh, you can acquire this book, The Human Element. It just came out this week, actually. So it's out there right now. Excellent. And uh, just for everyone to know, when uh, Jim refers to this week, we are recording this on October 14th. We're going to run this a little bit later from this. But this is a conversation that is evergreen in nature, though one of the underlying subtexts of the conversation is what is evergreen now may not be so for the foreseeable or permanent future. It may be go from evergreen to sagebrush. You don't know. <laughs> right, right. And one thing I want to let our audience know in all platforms, you're going to hear because we've moved our table and our breakfast to the front-facing side of La Famosa Restaurant here at the Navy Yard, you're going to hear some sounds of the street. You just heard some back backing up delivery trucks. We're just going to roll with that. So... The atmosphere around us is the atmosphere around us. It's organic. <laughs> it certainly is. So, uh, Jim, we had a conversation on this program not too long ago uh, with a woman uh, who has created a documentary film about wildfires in California called mm. Bring Your Own Brigade. Mm-hmm. And we delved very deeply into the question of fire and how it is changing the western part of the United States. Your thoughts on that? Oh, man, I've been right smack in the middle of that in a number of different ways. Uh, We started uh, having fires that affected my own home back in 2010. We almost got burned out. your home was where? In Boulder, Colorado, in the foothills. At the time, it was in the foothills. And uh, we had a fire that came very, very close to burning down my house, but it burned down uh, 6,000-some acres and uh, 100-plus of my neighbors' houses, and it was really, really scary. And that got me to thinking about, you know, what could I do as a photographer with fire that would um, uh, help to bring this story alive? Uh, and time went on, and I was very occupied with, uh, with uh, bringing the Extreme Ice Survey into the world in a film called Chasing Ice, which came out in 2012. But uh, eventually, by 2014, uh, I started going to wildfires around the American West in the summer, uh, filming it for the sake of uh, a film. Uh, And, boy, that's a noisy truck. (laughs) Another delivery here this morning. Yeah, that's a beer truck. Uh, Somebody's happy. Uh, (laughs) So in 2014, we started filming fires in the summer. 2014, 15, 16, and even a little bit in 2017. And um, it was a very, very, very powerful experience. I mean, visually, being around these fires is insanely beautiful and insanely scary at the same time. The science of fires and fire management is fascinating. The, the, the things that people have to think about when they think about the behavior of fire uh, just blew my mind, really. And I've been around a lot of complicated science in the course of my life and career. And and still the fire story, it's so organic. There's so many things interacting, the terrain, the weather, the wind, uh, the nature of the fuels, how people respond to things, um, the time of day, all of that affects the fires. And so the fires are these living organic beasts. I came to think of them as 
the fire dragon each time. You know, the, the firefighters are trying to deal with this dragon. How do you deal with the dragon as it's climbing up that mountain towards the top? What's next? Um, but uh, then we also have experienced uh, in the front range of the Rockies and, you know, Denver, Fort Collins, and Colorado Springs, we've had years of summertime skies that are choked with fire smoke blowing in either from our fires close by, but more commonly fires in California, Oregon, Washington, Canada, Montana, Idaho, smoke all over the place. And, and our blue skies have turned into these nasty, mean, oppressive white or tan or black skies as a consequence of the smoke that's coming in. Not so long ago, I was in Sun Valley, Idaho, and I'd never been to Sun Valley, Idaho, had read about how beautiful the skies were, especially in the late summer, temperate the climate was. The climate was temperate, but the skies were gray. Yeah, yeah. All three days from wildfires hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of miles away, Mm -hmm. affecting the day-to-day life for people who lived in Sun Valley. And it was grim. Yeah. Yeah. There's an essay in this book that I titled Breathing 2020. And I wrote it at the end of last summer after we had had this summer of this ghastly air that we had to inhale every day and living within this apocalyptic density of the smoke. Um, And what you saw in Sun Valley was part of that. And I want to let our audience know something else about you, Jim Baylog. You're a cancer survivor. And as I understand from our conversation before we began, some of that may be directly related to your exposure to smoke at wildfires. Yeah, um, certainly not my favorite uh, experience in life. But yes, I had this uh, cancer called multiple myeloma, and I will always have it. I will never entirely be free of it. But the, uh, the chemotherapy, thankfully, can suppress it back to the point where it's undetectable and it's not going to kill me. But uh, it, it uh, was discovered... Uh, right at the end of uh, my work, well, actually uh, actually a bit after the end of my work on the fires, and um, discovered almost by accident. Uh, it's a blood cancer, and it's uh, apparently, there's a, well, let me say, nobody really knows right. where cancers come from per se, but the, uh, because the research doesn't go in that direction. Research goes towards finding expensive cures of cancer that's not, that a pharmaceutical company can sell to the public. But um, the epidemiologists I've spoken to have said, you know, there's a pretty good chance that that cancer comes from all the toxic fumes and particulates that you were inhaling out in those fires. Uh, my family has never had any cancers, and uh, I'm the first one who has. Uh, It's also possible that I I had some sort of damage to myself years ago on different photographic projects that that I've done, and that those combined with getting older Mm -hmm. and or or combined with the smoke caused the cancer. But um, it's... It's, uh, it's something that I, I take pause from, and, and I take pause because we, in the course of our work, saw a lot of people, especially children, who have been affected by, the, uh, by breathing particulates. Right. That's a well-known connection. And I mentioned the documentary film, uh, Bring Your Own Brigade. Lucy Walker is the director and creator of that film. She was on our program. I want to make, make sure I name-check her. Uh, you've talked a couple of times about films. Are there films that people can see of your work also? Yes, thank you. Um, the film connected with this book 
the and, human element. And, and, and that has the wildfire, yes, that is called the human element also. That came out in 2018. It's available on Amazon Prime, on uh, iTunes, on Google Play, on a lot of those uh, sites. Then the earlier film from 2012 is called Chasing Ice, and that is uh, still on Netflix and on iTunes and other places. And it's, um, that's a study of, of how the uh, retreating glaciers are, are, were being documented by our team and what we saw. And it's, uh, both of the films really turn people's heads around. It's, it's worth checking them out if possible. We have about a minute before I need to go to break. So I want to give you about 45 seconds. That's not fair, but you're going to get 45 seconds. What's your emotional reaction to this body of work? Oh, well, I think the big reaction is I feel content. I feel really content that I managed to pull together 40 years worth of thinking and seeing within the covers of this one book. It was a big, big life work to do all this and see all of it and to put it all together. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it as imagery, and I'm sort of stunned, if not horrified, to some extent by what I'm seeing in so many of these these uh, situations. That's the voice of Jim Balog. The amazing book is called The Human Element. When we come back for segments three and four, especially for those on CBSN, stay tuned for this. We're going to go through some of the photography, and we'll remind those on the podcast and platforms and radio audience how to find those photographs, but a visual treat coming up. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment three of The Takeout in just one second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout, segment three. As I promised, we're going to talk in detail. And for those of you on CBSN, you're really going to get a chance to experience this photography as you watch the show unfold. And for those of you on our podcast platforms and our radio audience, you can go to our Twitter feed or our Instagram account. You'll see some of this photography as well as other photography from the book, The Human Element. Jim Balog is our special guest. He is the creator of a book, as he said, 40 years of chronicling the human element as it relates to the planet. And the underlying theory of the book is human beings are changing the basic elements of our planet. So, Jim, walk us through some of the photography you have and take our CBSN viewers on kind of a travelogue experience through what you saw with your camera lens and what do you think it might mean to us and our planet? Okay, well, the first picture I want to talk about is um, it's this seemingly bucolic landscape. It hap- happens to be in western Pennsylvania. It's a, it's a beautiful farm uh, with uh, the smokestacks of a coal-fired power plant behind. We refer to it as our Norman Rockwell shot because it looks so contented. But in fact, that picture encapsulates the Anthropocene in a sense, and because a key part of the Anthropocene is about agricultural modification of the Earth's landscape, which goes back at least 10,000 years. Um, 
in, in the human record. And then, of course, the modification of the air and the climate and everything that's happened subsequent uh, to fossil fuel burning is encapsulated in those smokestacks. So Norman Rockwell um, from Pennsylvania, redone in whatever, whatever year that was, 2017, I think, um, that's the Anthropocene right in front of our noses. Even though it looks pretty and it looks tranquil, there's a lot to think about and feed on in that picture. Excellent. Uh, picture number two. Yeah. In your sequence. Well, now we're going from uh, coal-fired power plants, burning of fossil fuels in a, in a contained situation, to a fire in, as it happens, in the Northwest Territories in Canada. And um, that's what it feels like when fire, fire comes through a forest. Uh, I, I think that it evokes... This is an inferno that is basically from ground to the very tops of these trees. Yeah, it's just exploding through the forest. Um, and when you're standing in front of that stuff, the rage that's in those flames, it just kind of stirs your innermost being. I mean, it's like in your spinal cord and in the animal. Uh, there's a noise. Yeah, there, well, there's a noise, there's a roar, there's a crackle, and you can just feel this incredible intensity as the flames just go and consume everything. And it's, it's like a primordial energy. Absolutely. Um, it's a uh, it's scary in its way, and it's incredibly beautiful because you realize that this metamorphic process is is doing something that more to met, metamorphic processes have always had to do on the surface of this earth. Things are always changing, and fire, this combustion process of chemistry, is something that's taking material from state A to state B. Nature has to do its own kind of metamorphosis, but when humans take coal and convert that ancient sun energy that's embedded in coal into stuff that we dump in the sky, that's the wrong sort of metamorphing. Exactly. And then picture three in your sequence is a very, very tall, elegant, magnificent, awe-inspiring tree. Yeah, it's a, a, a famous uh, giant sequoia in uh, the Sierra Nevada. And it's the fifth largest living organism in the world. And so I, I want it to come from burning trees to a dynamic living tree that's at least a couple thousand years old. Uh, the diameter of the base of the trunk is 28 feet or so in diameter. It's 260 feet tall, more or less. And um, I shot that picture in 2001 and had to invent some techniques along with my, my uh, tree rigging crew out in California about how I could get that picture so that I could see the character of the tree in a way that the human eye had never seen it before. You know, when you're, when you're out in those forests, you're always looking up at a tapering column of wood going into the sky, and I thought, that's boring. We've seen all that already. And I, after several years of experiments, we figured out how to put me on a rope up in the sky and slide down on the rope through the forest and be able to witness the character and personality of this tree through this direct vision and then reassemble that vision in this gigantic computer mosaic of 451 frames. 451 frames of something 260-odd feet high. It's a way of looking at a giant sequoia that I've never seen before, and it is mind-bending in its own right. Yeah, thank you, thank you. That that picture is in a 10-foot-tall print right now at the National Academy of Science, and it will be at a... Uh, at the Stanford uh, University Art Museum as well soon. They're framing it right now, and it will be at some other sites, hopefully, 
shortly. I asked from a strictly commercial perspective, could it ever be made into a poster? Um, Because I'd like to buy it. (laughs) It could be in theory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, very good. Picture four in your sequence. Yes. Well, this is of an iceberg uh, on the shores of uh, Iceland where a piece of, it's not a very big iceberg as icebergs go. You know, it's maybe twice the height of you and I sitting here at the table. And it's broken off a glacier along with millions of other pieces of ice as that glacier is receding. And it's flowing out into the ocean. So what you're seeing on the left side of the frame is the incoming waves of the Atlantic Ocean and the ice is sitting there waiting to be eaten away by the ocean. And, you know, I used to think of sea level rise, this thing we talk about uh, as a consequence of climate change eating away at the glaciers. I used to think of it as a a relatively um, abstract thing. Another delivery truck, just for those who are listening. (laughs) Delivery man, go away, please. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I used to think of that as a relatively abstract process. And uh, when you see this ice going into the ocean, you realize that even if the chunk of ice is only that big, or if it's this big, sea level rise is a real live thing happening piece by piece by piece as this frozen water in the glaciers and ice sheets is converted into liquid water in the ocean. So this this picture is the manifestation of that living, ongoing process. And for those in my audience who might say, well, okay, that's just water in a different form, what, what's the big deal? You would say what? Well, I would say that that affects the coastlines of everybody who lives along the coastlines. And this picture number five is an attempt to start to bring that alive in a human sense. Um, I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how do how do I show sea level rise? How do I document sea level rise? And it's hard real, thing to do. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do because it's happening in these eighth millimeters of an inch increments right. per year, and you you can't make a time lapse of that. Uh, you can see the consequences during big storms as they come in. So I decided, well, in this case, I should resort to symbolic pictures. You know, sometimes I've, I work in a documentary, realistic sense, and sometimes I work uh, with symbolism, as I did particularly on endangered wildlife back in the uh, late 1980s and 1990s. In the case of this picture with Vanessa and Trey in the water, um, this was a series of pictures that was showing children and their parents in the water. Um, to say, hey, the, the sea levels that these kids are going to live in, you know, 40, 50, 60, 80 years hence, are very, very different than the sea levels that we're seeing right now. So we did, we spent three days shooting these kinds of images. And in one frame, there was this magical moment where young Trey was on the back of his mother, Vanessa. The light was in the right place. I was in the right place. And this really powerful, surreal picture somehow came together. It is both in a literal sense a beautiful picture in the moment, with the light, with the sea, but as an example of, I think what we're communicating is, what is small now will be taller later. Absolutely. The water where it is now will be taller later, just as Trey is the, is the young... The young boy. Young boy yep. will be taller like his mother. 
Very and, good. And yep. that's and that's what it's about. I can see you're a writer. Thank you. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> so for those of you who are thinking, well, what if I miss this show, this beautiful show and this beautiful photo- f- photography on CBSN? I have the answer. Paramount Plus keeps all of our takeouts. So Paramount Plus, if you're a subscriber, you can find it there and you can watch it whenever you want to. So those of you on our radio audience, our podcast platforms, this will always be available to you. Jim Baylog is our special guest. The Human Element is the book. Back for segment four of The Takeout in just one second. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. The book, The Human Element, the photographer, Jim Baylog. Uh, You've been shooting pictures your whole life? Well, my whole adult life. Whole adult uh, life. I started out uh, uh, in uh, in graduate school studying earth sciences, finished my degree, and realized that I didn't want to write science papers the rest of my life. I wanted to see the big world, be out in the sun and the wind and the rain and the water mm-hmm. and glaciers, and uh, I wanted to express what I was seeing and feeling not through science papers and numbers, but through that camera. Mm-hmm. So, for those of us of a certain age, and I think you and I fall into that category, uh, we have experienced two sort of environmental movements in this country. One in the 70s, in which it was about conservation and sort of preservation. And it seems to me this, this one we're currently living through now is not about conservation or preservation so much as something really different is happening, and we don't have much time. It's, it feels much both as a matter of science and a matter of observable change, more dire. Am I overestimating or over-describing that? No, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, that initial part of uh, environmentalism really was derived from thousands of years worth of cultural conditioning, saying, hey, uh, humanity is here, you know, around in what we are, and nature is this other thing in another box out there. And... That's certainly been useful because it's helped us to conserve those precious places that haven't been uh, damaged yet or too damaged in any case. But what we see now in our time, and this is what the Anthropocene, uh, the realization of the Anthropocene has brought through for us, is that we are in nature. We are not in one box and nature is in another box. We are an integral part of that. And that's really what I'm saying in this book. Um, Classical environmentalism thinks about the Anthropocene as anathema. It's like we don't want to think of ourselves as being part of nature because it makes us think that we're too powerful and bombastic and whatever. But in fact, if you recognize that you're in and of nature, you're an element in nature along with the earth, air, fire, and water and, and animal and plant life, then you realize that, oh my God, whatever we do to those other things out there, to the air, to the water, to the whatever, it's going to bounce back around and affect us too because we are in nature. And so that's what new 
environmentalism is all about, and it leads to realizing we have to do things in a more sustainable fashion. And this was an intellectual journey for you as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And it will be for everyone else? Yeah. I mean, and just so everyone understands, if you hear some noise in the background, it's a delivery truck nearby. We're in the Navy Yard at La Famosa having a wonderful breakfast, but we're outdoors because that's sort of what uh, protocols suggest and require. So we got natural noises around us. So and we want him to go away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but delivery trucks are <laughs> delivery trucks. It's an intellectual journey for everyone. And it's not about politics, not about ideology. It's about a sense of realism that the Anthropocene means we are together and our decisions or reluctance or inability to make decisions doesn't mean there won't be consequences. Absolutely. There will be consequences constantly everywhere. And we're living through those consequences right now. So on this program, on my other program, uh, The Debrief, we had a conversation with Gina McCarthy, who's a longtime environmentalist. She's an advisor to President Biden on all these matters. And she said, look, I've been in this movement for 30 years and I'm tired. These are her words, not mine, of talking about how hard this is and how little time we have. I want to be optimistic. I believe technology can do a lot of things. I believe people's attitudes and mindsets are changing. She's I'm a net optimist on this. Jim Baylog, after your 40 years of observation, photography, are you an optimist? Oh boy, that's a challenging question. I was, I was more of an optimist in past years. Uh, now I would say that I, I basically have to admit that I sit on the fence. I'm a pragmatist, I'm a centrist essentially, and I can see great opportunities for, for positive change and I see great opportunities for stasis and indifference dragging us down and keeping us from moving forward to where we need to be. So honestly, uh, you know, look, I know the world wants a good, clean answer to say, I'm hopeful and I'm hopeful because of X, Y, Z. I don't think it's that simple. It's uh, we're really sitting right on the fence in the middle of this seesaw between good and evil right now, between positive and negative. And um we're going to see, or our children are going to see, how this all plays out and what the consequences are. I want to ask you about one chapter in your book, and you have a picture that we can also share with our audience on CBSN. What is a techno-sapien? Yeah, well, that's a body of work that I did in the 1990s, where I was, I was postulating that humanity is turning into a new species. Uh, this is a little poetic license, of course, but turning into a new species as a consequence of infusing it's our, our bodies and our lifestyles with technology. And so this picture of Kenny uh, is sort of an encapsulation of that. Kenny was a, 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 a lineman for the power company in Oklahoma, and he was up on a pole, and um, one of his coworkers flipped a switch that wasn't supposed to be turned on, and it destroyed his arms. And he became an amputee with his arms. And so in this picture, we're seeing the first time that a prosthetic um, designer was able to give him sensation of heat and cold back in his arm through that prosthetic. You know, keep in mind, this is 25 years old. Prosthetics mm -hmm. have come a long way since then, but this was a cutting edge thing at the time. So here Kenny has been savaged by technology, but technology is bringing life back to him. And that dichotomy and that... Life through sensation. Life through sensation. And, and I find that that is a, that good and bad, that dichotomy between uh, difficulty and 
positive possibility is a what can key be part. taken away and what can be brought back. That's right. I mean, it, look in my own life, um, the the technology, the technologies of of medicine have given me life with my multiple myeloma. I would probably be dead in a few years if I didn't have that medication, but I can expect to live out a reasonably normal lifespan now because of the medication. And and I find that incredibly ironic because most of my life I was one of those guys who was railing against the chemical industry and the chemistry this and blah, blah, blah. So I put a sarcastic title on that essay, Better Living Through Chemistry, right. which is an old slogan that I think it was DuPont had mm-hmm. many decades ago. And I mean that ironically and sarcastically. I am better living through chemistry. At the same time, it's like chemistry can screw up plenty in our world. Right. So uh, you have uh, taken just a little bit of snark off of that perspective. and uh, <laughs> Yeah. Because life teaches us lessons unexpectedly sometimes. So with the continued presence of the delivery truck just to our left, I'm Major Garrett. We need to say farewell to our radio audience. But for those on the podcast platform, stay tuned. And for CBSN audience, more to come with Jim Baylog. The book is The Human Element. For our radio audience, again, you can find this photography where on the website, Jim? Uh, ExtremeIceSurvey.com. EarthVisionInstitute.com. Is it .org or .com? Something. People will find it. People People will find it. People are clever these days. People will find it and clever. And it's worthwhile finding. And for those on CBSN, you're in for a treat with the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. La Famosa is our host restaurant. We're outdoors having breakfast. You might be able to hear the sound of a delivery truck in the general neighborhood. Been here a while. Uh, we're just going to push through it. Jim Baylog is our special guest. He has put together basically a photographic essay of 40 years of his career, photographing the planet. It's called The Human Element. And Jim, I want you to indulge our audience with your own voice, reading from your book, an essay near the back. Please read. Yeah, thank you. I've been an environmental photographer, by the way, for, for 40 years. That's been the center of my work. And this book is an encapsulation of all of that. So back on page 442 in this very large and very heavy book. We call that burying the lead in the industry, yes. folks. <laughs> um, here, is a, here is a little bit of free verse that I think summarizes the whole book and may, be, be, may be of interest to the audience. Here goes. The hour is fleeting. The facts of life on earth are clear, and I submit them, submit them for candid consideration. Human tectonics are changing the nature of nature. We depend on the stability of the fundamental elements of the world. An imbalance in the human element leads to an imbalance in the other elements. People are the only elements that can choose to restore balance. No boundary separates people from nature. In damaging nature, we are damaging ourselves. In protecting nature, we are protecting ourselves. No law or decree, no religion or tradition, 
gives us the right to immolate the inheritance of the ages. True patriotism protects spacious skies and purple mountains, golden valleys and diamond deserts, from pole to gleaming pole and sea to, to shining sea. Against the tyranny of denial and the oppression of indifference, we must prevail and find a new vision of the relationship between human nature and the rest of nature. We the people have an inalienable right, not just to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but to clean air, clean water, and the security of a stable atmosphere. Our survival demands it, and our children deserve it. As if on cue, with that summarizing sentiment, the delivery truck turned its ignition off. Bam! Wow, that's almost uh, <laughs> symmetry and poetry and industry all combining at I once. I mean, go figure, right? <laughs> and just as a reminder, the human element is threatening the four ma- basic elements, right? The other elements, yes. What the, the Greeks four- taught us. Yes, what the Greeks taught us, but the Greeks missed the power of the life force on this planet, of the plants and the animals. They talked about earth, air, fire, and water, as did as does the Buddhist tradition and the Hindu tradition and the Chinese tradition. But uh, the, none of them talked about the life force per se. And they, they always kind of held the human life force outside their summary of the, uh, their summation of... Uh, of the powers of the earth. But I think that the realization in our time and the realization that the Anthropocene brings us is that the human life force is one of the great powers on this planet along with all those other forces. Such a treat to hear you read those words that you put together. Um, I want to ask you the three uh, threshold questions we ask every single guest on this program. It's always in the takeout, outtake, especial. That's what makes it especial. So in whatever order you want to take them, most influential book in your life, or one of the most influential books, and why? Uh, your all-time favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies, and uh, if you're on a long drive in Colorado, or you're in a long flight across country, and you're really going to enjoy some music, I mean really enjoy it, what kind of music is that going to be, artist or genre? Oh my goodness. Well, I guess I should have been uh, prepping myself for that one. <laughs> what was the first one? Uh, most influential book in your life. In some strange way, possibly Moby Dick. I've read it about four times, mm-hmm. and I often read it when I'm on ships going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's so much in there. There's so many things. Um, uh, but I've been influenced by a lot. I just got done reading uh, three books about the French Revolution. I've been reading deeply about the American uh, Revolution in the 1700s, et cetera, et cetera. I won't bore you with all the details, but... Uh, also, I would have to say Winston Churchill's study of World War I. I find that incredibly interesting. And a lot of it is just a sort of a recitation, collecting the history of, of the, the government documents and such during the war. But when Winston is on the beam with his writing mm-hmm. and you're seeing his brain coming through and his word craft, it's incredible. No doubt. No um, doubt. Uh, one of your film. favorite movies? Uh, Paris, Texas by Vim Vendors great fan of that film um it sounds kind of pedestrian but citizen kane and actually lucy walker did a fabulous film uh about uh about the uh the tsunami at fukushima years ago mm-hmm. it was really quite a beautiful film uh and there's a lot in documentary world that is really spectacular uh there's another film a fiction film 
uh, called The Lives of Others, done by a German director about uh, the uh, the East German Secret Service. And, uh, the Stasi, yeah. Yeah, the Stasi. Uh, and then finally, with music, uh, that, <clears throat> that's an interesting question. I've, I, I, I've had reason to do a lot of long drives lately, and um, I tend to listen to podcasts like... Uh, Ezra Klein or or Fresh Air or Major Garrett or Major Garrett, yes, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, I also listen quite a lot to opera, mm-hmm. and I've been learning a lot about opera that I never knew from this uh, this podcast called Aria Code, and uh, really quite taken with uh, with uh, some of the pieces of music and understanding the the musical context, the historical context, what the creative necessity was to to write those pieces and perform those pieces. It's, I, I feel a connection in a way with those people working in that other form, and I learn about my form from those forms. That is the voice of Jim Balog. The book is The Human Element. It's been a fantastic hour to spend with you, sir. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you. It's been great fun. And uh, many thanks to La Famosa and to all the various trucks who provided all sorts of uh, unexpected uh, natural sound for this week's episode of The Takeout. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.